The story from Mark this morning that Madeline read for us. Thanks again, Madeline, for a beautiful reading. It takes place immediately after Jesus appoints the 12 apostles. So this is right at the start of Mark's gospel story. Chapter 3, barely getting started. And the text tells us that after calling the 12, Jesus went home. That crowds came to his house that he and others attempted to eat, but that the crowds somehow prevented them from eating. Perhaps the crowds were too boisterous, too demanding, or maybe just too big and chaotic. They got in the way. Then Jesus' family hears that Jesus has returned and afraid that he has gone mad. They make their way to the house to restrain him. Then, the scribes, believing Jesus to be in league with Satan, also head to the house. So, you've got Jesus going home with his apostles, and then the crowds come, and then family comes, and the scribes come. And Jesus responds to these various accusations that he's gone mad, that he's in league with Satan, with a series of brief images. And the first set of images are all about how a thing divided against itself cannot stand. So there's a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, there's a house divided against itself cannot stand, and there's Satan divided against himself cannot stand. So there's these three things that if divided against itself cannot stand. Then the second image is about a strong man, about how a strong strong man would need to be bound before somebody could go plunder his house. So Jesus is accusing his, or he's, he's responding and condemning his accusers in rather strong terms, um, but also very opaque terms. So after Jesus shares these parabolic images, then his mother, mother and brothers do arrive. So they were on their way when they heard Jesus was there. Now they finally arrive. Messengers come to tell Jesus that he, they are there, and Jesus offers a chilling rejection to his birth family, explicitly claiming that the misfits around the table are his true family. Now, when I read a story like this, I want to believe that I'm one of the misfits, that I'm at the table with Jesus. That's where I want to be, that I'm claimed by him as true family, that I'm not like one of those dumb-witted and mean-spirited scribes who thinks Jesus is in concert with evil. It is chillingly easy to demonize those religious leaders in the story for whom it was chillingly easy to demonize Jesus. But um, anybody else out there enjoy the occasional celebrity magazine? Us Weekly is my preferred guilty pleasure for plane rides. No, am I all alone? You're going to leave me out here hanging? Anybody else? Oh, see? Okay, celebrity gossip. Well, there's a little bit of it out there. And there's always a page that with photos titled celebrities, dot, dot, dot. They're just like us, exclamation point. And then it's followed by photos of celebrities who are walking their dogs or pushing a shopping cart or pumping gas into their car. And each photo comes with an exclamatory caption, and at this point in my sermon writing, I actually went to look up some of these, because it's been a while since I've been on a plane, so it's been a while since I've looked at an Us Weekly, but thankfully they have a website. (laughs) 
So here's some actual examples. Uh, They buy groceries. They go on coffee runs. They struggle with umbrellas. They sip water. Here's a favorite. They pick the greenest lettuce. Yes, that was an actual one with an exclamation point. And they scoop poop. (sighs) Unlike these inane comparisons with Selena Gomez or Drake or whoever it is, with the scribes and the other religious leaders who show up in our gospel stories, like the scribes in our Mark story today, I somehow, even after all these years, have to remind myself that they're just like us. They're just like me. They aren't evil. They're people. They're people who are committed to tradition. They're committed to their communal life with one another in troubled times. They're committed to caring for the institutions to which they've devoted their lives. Uh, And the institutions where they found any number of things, where they have found companionship, where they have found meaning, where they found communal life together with God, they're compromised in some pretty big ways. Yes, that is true. And so am I. So scribes, dot, 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 they're just like us. And they're the only people throughout the Gospels that provoke Jesus' intolerance. The island of misfit toys that are crowded around Jesus at the table, alternately, those misfits, that's his base. Those are his people. That's his tribe. That's his family. And I so want to be one of the misfits at the table with Jesus, claimed by Jesus, and I am so often like those religious leaders who have an awfully hard time making the leap from dedication to religion to open-hearted love of God's beloved, disfigured humanity. I'm going to say that again. Those scribes who have an awfully hard time making the leap from dedication to religion to open-hearted love of God's beloved, disfigured humanity. Several things have recently converged that um, have me thinking about success and failure in the church. And I've been pondering how success can be dangerous and how much success I have sought in my life and experienced in my life. Let me tell you about the scholarships that I have won and the jobs that I have gotten. And yet success causes damage. It leads to alienation, prevents us from growing resilient. We're going to dive into that just a little bit. But first I want to tell you about one of those threads, one of those things that's recently converged for me to provoke these thoughts related to success in the church. It's a new podcast. It's a podcast, well, I mean, relatively new in the last couple of months. In podcast world, it's old, probably. Um, It's a podcast that is co-produced by the Women in Leadership Project of Mennonite Church USA and the Mennonite Inc. And it's called Holding It Together. Um, But the title of it has a comma in parentheses after it. So it's sort of a play on 
holding it together, like we're just holding it together, and holding it together, as in together we hold it. And the host is Jenny Castro, and part of her introduction to each episode is this. So these are the words from her that I've heard now several times that it's one of these threads. She says, Too often in the context of faith and lived experience, the stories we tell are stories of overcoming, of success, of all that is waiting on the other side. Here on this podcast, we want to notice the beauty of the process, to paint pictures of authentic people and whole people. Here we recognize that to live out our convictions and co-create new ways of being in the world, we need one another. We need each other to hold together with us all that we carry in our journey of becoming. We need each other to bear witness to the process because, and here it is, because yes, Some days we do shine. We are successful beyond our wildest imaginings. But most days, we're just holding it together. So that's one of those threads. When we in the church fall into the trap of relying too exclusively on success stories, of stories of struggle, but overcoming... We cause alienation. Because inevitably there are people sitting nearby who are just holding it together. Or maybe not even doing that all that well. There are folks sitting nearby with crippling addictions from which they may or may not find liberation. There are folks sitting nearby with a chronic or degenerative condition for whom there won't be a cure or a relief or an upswing in health. There are folks sitting nearby with a mental illness, maybe life-threatening depression that may in fact claim their life someday, as it has for a couple of prominent people in our world in just the last week. And so, our tales of success, struggling and yet overcoming, can cause alienation. Also, when we rely too exclusively on success stories here or in any other circle, we lose the opportunity to grow in resiliency. So Jennifer Harvey, who's the author of Dear White Christians, which a number of us read a couple of years ago together, and she has a new book called Raising White Kids. And she was here several weeks ago to speak about that Raising White Kids. And so some of us were there as well and got to hear her speak And she talked about this particular challenge of developing resiliency in highly successful and achieving sorts of circles. How do you get resilient if everyone's above average? Because success doesn't build a very hearty resiliency. Failure does. Or at least it's more reliable in building resiliency. And spending part of a day with her was another one of those threads that's come together for me in pondering success stories and stories of overcoming in the church. Another one of those threads is the gospel story itself. So we heard in Mark this morning that when we in the church fall into that trap of relying too exclusively on success stories, of those stories of struggle yet overcoming, I think we're going to find it harder to find our place at the table of misfits. And we're going to find it harder, therefore, to find a place at the table with Jesus. Because Jesus is hanging with the misfits. Claiming them as his family. 
And I'm still not sure what to make of all of this. This is a very unfinished sermon, so you guys get to help me finish it. I'm still not sure what to make of all of this, especially at this time of year when people of all ages, but very specifically young people in our community, are graduating or experiencing some educational milestone. And of course, we want to celebrate their successes. Of course, we want to share in the joy of their accomplishments. Of course, we want to share the excited anticipation of what's next in life. So how do we both fully, joyously, wholeheartedly embrace celebration with our beloveds? Because it is good (laughs) to celebrate with one another. And also hold in tension the way that our over-reliance on these success stories causes harm in our community. I don't know. I don't know how we do all of that, but I'm glad that I get to at least hold that tension with others of you in this room. There's another thing that appears in our gospel story this morning um, that I want to address briefly, and that's the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Perhaps I've already said this before, but even if I had it, have, it bears repeating based entirely on how prominent it was in my childhood mind. I experienced some very real anxiety in my childhood about the unforgivable sin. Very real. What if I inadvertently blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Because I didn't know exactly what it was. Still don't. So what if I accidentally blasphemed the Holy Spirit unawares and ended up eternally damned with no possibility of forgiveness? Like it's the one thing you can do and not be forgiven. This was the stuff of pretty genuine spiritual terror. And I'm just going to come out and say it, especially for any anxiety-prone little ears out there that are listening who have either heard what I just said or maybe even heard it when Madeline read from Mark. I do not believe any sin is unforgivable. There you go. (laughs) Stated positively, I believe there is forgiveness for anything and everything and all. Period. Full stop. I just don't think, even though it's mentioned here in this story, that a sin that is beyond God's forgiveness holds up with the whole witness of who Jesus was. The incarnate one. Who Jesus revealed God to be. And so I reject it. But I do wonder this, because why is it there then? I do wonder this. I wonder if it's one of the hardest sins to come back from. One of the hardest sins to turn from, to repent from, is just this. Mistaking the power of the Holy Spirit for the demonic. So that's what's happening in the story, right? So maybe that's one of the hardest things to return from. Seeing Jesus' love for the misfits and calling it madness. That's a really hard thing to turn away from. Trying to dress up the chaos of Jesus' big and messy love with respectability. Making God's liberation, mistaking God's liberation for damnation. I wonder if when we refuse or are unable to see the mess of misfits as the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, that it is hard to have our vision restored, to seek and find forgiveness. So it's not that it's unforgivable, It's just that it's a particularly difficult sin from which to recover and be healed. Because when the Holy Spirit moves and we cry madness or demons, 
When Jesus loves big on some really embarrassing people, and we avert our respectability gaze, we're like, ugh, there he goes again. When another's liberation offends us, or causes us to withdraw, then we're in serious need of a vision restoration. And that's some pretty serious spiritual surgery. This sermon feels really disjointed to me. That's where I got at this point in the writing. I didn't even get to Samuel, and I was sort of excited about Samuel. I'm glad we still got to hear the story of the people in folly asking for a king. Samuel telling them, do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? And they still go there. They still go to their bondage rather than their liberation. So I can't say in a sentence what this sermon is. I know I love that. Here's the sentence in a, uh, the sermon in a sentence. I don't have one because I don't actually know what it is in a sentence. I feel like I've been all over the map uncovering various and sundry things, and I don't have a neat bow to tie this up. Um, so maybe, like Jenny Castro says, this is not one of those days where my sermon shines. I'm just holding it together. But I'll circle back to where I began. Because this is the, the piece, I think, that most hooks me. That I am so often a religious leader who finds it hard to take the leap from dedication to religion to open-hearted love of God's beloved, disfigured humanity. I want to take the leap. I want to be among the misfits. But today, I wasn't sleeping in a tent in the courtyard. I was the religious leader who showed up and asked the person sleeping in the tent in the courtyard to move along. That's who I was this morning. I want to be among the misfits, because I want to be at a table with Jesus, claimed by Jesus as family. I want to be there at that table of misfits with you. So I guess that means I want you all to be misfits (laughs) with me. So may we find our home there, on the island of misfit toys, among a table of misfits, claimed by Jesus as family. May we find our home there together. Amen.